Good evening, and welcome to the Pratt Library. I'm Carla Hayden, Director, and we really thank you for joining us here at the Central Library. We're very pleased to have all of you here for our Writers Live series. Tonight, we are much honored to be joined by award-winning author and star of CSI New York, Hill Harper. His much-honored book, Letters to a Young Brother, is a favorite among our patrons, especially our young adults. In Letters to a Young Brother, Hill Harper offers inspiration to young men who are clamoring for advice and encouragement. This book has been so well-received, it was named one of 2007's Best Books for Young Adults by the American Library Association. That's why we're so looking forward to him talking about his new book, Letters to a Young Sister. And tonight, we have one of his young sisters to give him a very special introduction. We're very proud. That's you. Not that. Hold on. I'm going to say some good things about you first. We're very proud to welcome Lanisha Thor, one of our amazing students who's part of the Pratt's Community Youth Corps. Now, the Community Youth Corps program prepares teens, 13 to 17-year-olds, for future employment, academic success, and positive interaction by providing opportunities to earn their service hours while working at various Pratt branches. One of the things that the Community Youth Corps does for us, besides um, having training and youth development and encouraging other um, people to use libraries, is, as they've told us, they help us make the library cool. So we are so proud of Lanisha because recently she earned her learning service hours from our Northwood branch, and best of all, she was voted as Most Outstanding Community Youth Corps Intern. She's about to head into high school after graduating from Roland Park Middle School, and tonight we're pleased to welcome her to introduce our very special guest. <clears throat> thank you, Dr. Hayden. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for having me here tonight. It is an honor to welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library in Baltimore a true inspiration to young men and women like me. For most of you, he's the reclusive coroner on the hit primetime drama CSI New York. He's also the star of the HBO critically acclaimed movie Lackawanna Blues. And for many ladies in the audience, they'll remember him as one of, the, uh, one of People Magazine's Sexiest Men Alive. <laughs> but for a teen like me, he represents a lot more. He is a shining example of what young African Americans like me here in Baltimore should strive for, a successful career with a genuine heart who always finds time to give back to the community. Woo! 
Hill Harper graduated magna cum laude from Brown University and is a recipient of graduate degrees in both law and public administrations from Harvard University. <clears throat> Aside from his role on CSI New York, he has starred and guest starred in numerous plays, movies, and shows, but he shines off camera as well. He volunteers for Big Brother, Big Sister, and regularly talks to teenagers in public schools about the importance of education. He says, education has always been really important to me and my family, and I am a big proponent of trying to get young urban kids to, get, to go to school and educate themselves because the world offers a wealth of opportunities. And, it, and it's quotes like this that have many young men and women heading to libraries and bookstores to check out his book, Letters to a Young Brother. It is an understatement to call this book inspirational. For many young readers like me, he taught us life lessons by intertwining personal stories with expert insights from other people we look up to. Letters to a Young Sister is his newest book. This new book, like the first, will serve, as will serve as a much needed guidance for teenage girls who are trying to juggle homework, deal with peer pressure, and understand adolescence. So tonight, he's here to talk about this marvelous new book and the important women who serve as role models for him growing up. So without further ado, I welcome to the Ignat Pratt Free Library in Baltimore City, Mr. Hill Harper. Does this work? Can you guys hear me? Does this work? Okay, great. Thank you for that amazing introduction. And look, you guys got to see, you know, she wore purple to match the cover of the book. So she's, she's coordinated in a real wonderful way. You know, it's, 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 it's wonderful to be here. And, you know, Baltimore in many ways, I've, 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 over the past few years, I've gotten a chance to spend some time here. And I've met some amazing people. I've got a chance to, to do some talks at some different churches. I've got a chance to, to do some things at, at, at the book fair and, and, and all of that. And, and, and I'm so impressed by some of the most dynamic individuals uh, that are here really working to solve a lot of the problems. Because as we know, there's some serious issues with the Baltimore City school system. Uh, you know, the report came out that the graduation rate of African-American males in the Baltimore City school system was 27%. Now, I own a restaurant in Hollywood, and if the government came by my restaurant and my success rate of serving food that, that was, is actually palatable and eatable was 27%, the government would shut me down. But instead, we allow these schools to continue to operate and undereducate our children. And it's not and this is very important, pointing this out, is not the teacher's fault. The teachers, the teachers in many ways are hamstrung by problematic budget situations, prob problems in the classroom. I recently visited a school, and check this out, I recently visited a school and was appalled to find out that the security guard at the school was making twice as much money as the teachers at the school. 
And then you start, you start to ask yourself, what are the real priorities of that so-called educational institution? And so, I usually start off with a joke. I got serious real quick. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why, but it's just, you know, something about it just brought, brought it out of me. Um, but, but all that's to say is that we're, we're in a situation right now uh, and Baltimore City represents it, but it's not just about Baltimore, that we're in crisis mode across this country. And it's up to those of us that are in this room to figure out what are we going to do uh, and how are we going to address it. Now, for me, I can only speak about, about my work and, and, and my journey. And, and for me, the industry that I'm in, I believe that, that, that the biggest issue is the fact that my industry has done more to decimate the self-esteem and self-worth of our young people than virtually any other industry. I say that to say... I say that to say... I say that... Okay, listen. I say that to say, thank you very much. I say that to say that, that, the, uh, that as we, as, as, as I look at myself, and she, she mentioned a movie I did called Lackawanna Blues, that is about, basically about family, about uplifting community, about all these wonderful things. And people would say, well, it's great that you participate in these projects, but I, I still had to wake up and know that CSI New York is on a, is on a network called CBS which is a network that's owned by a bigger company called Viacom. They also own VH1. They also own BET. They also own MTV. And so as you start to look at these larger corporations, even though I don't necessarily participate in projects that I deem to be demeaning or degrading, I still am accepting checks from a company that is still producing product that I believe that is degrading and demeaning and, and, and hurting the self-esteem of many of our young people. You, I, I can't tell you the countless young women a, 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 th that I talked to that watched that show. Who on, who's seen the MTV show, My Super Sweet 16? Okay? So I talked to so many of them, and they tell me about how they feel bad about themselves because they can't have a 16th birthday that looks like what they see on TV. But, it's, but, it, but it goes back to this, and this is something I talk about in my first book, is that it goes back to fear, which stands, if those of you who read my first book know that for me, fear stands for false evidence appearing real. My industry is all about presenting false evidence that appears real. My TV show is about presenting false evidence that appears real. The people on my show aren't really dead, you know, and they look very dead, so it's false evidence that appears real. Now, the same holds true with my, my industry. For instance, I'll give you a quick example. What's the... Uh, What's the, what's the name of, of Kanye West's first album? College, College Dropout. And what is the, what is the um, underlying message of a title like that? He didn't just happen to pick it. What's the, we know what the literal message, what's the underlying message? What is he trying to say with that title? That, that he's still successful without college. That's what he's really trying. Like, I didn't need college to be successful. As if he's bragging that he didn't need college, right? That's the underlying message. But, it's, but much like everything in my industry... It's false evidence appearing real. Because what Kanye doesn't tell you is that 
His mother, God rest her soul, is one of the top college professors in the state of Illinois. So he didn't get four years of college. He got 18 years of college. So what... So what the non-false evidence appearing real title of his album should be is college dropout, but unless your mom's a college professor, you need to take your butt to college. But that's a long title for an album. It may not fit, but it reinforces the point. It reinforces the point that many of our young people are, are given misinformation about people that they look up to. And it's false evidence that appears real. And then they start trying to go about living their life in the same way of the people that they look up to. And they don't get anywhere. And they start feeling frustrated. And, the, and their self-esteem starts to suffer. And it becomes a cyclical process. And so, and we can, we can use, I can give you loads of examples of this. Um, another example, it's easy to use music examples just because they're easy. But I can give them to you from, 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 from the film side, from the media side, whatever. There, there's a... A, a, I'm, I'm, I love cars. I love cars. And I was, at a, I was doing a talk similar to this, and before I was talking, I was off to the side of, side of the stage and, and uh, talking to a young man, and he liked cars too. We started talking about cars. He asked me what kind of cars I had, and we were talking. And, he, and I said, what kind of car do you want? He says, well, I want a car like Jay has. And he's referring to Jay-Z. And I said, I said, I said what, what, what is that? And I knew what he was talking about right off the bat but I wanted to, to go down this path of having a conversation. I said, well, what, what car is that? He said, well, you don't like the one Jay has in that video. And I knew exactly what video he was talking about. He's talking about a video um, where Jay-Z is in Monaco racing a Lamborghini with Dale Earnhardt and Danica Patrick is in some other car, right? And they're racing in the streets of Monaco, right? So he said, I want a car like Jay has. And I said, really? Well, what is, so we started having this conversation. And he kept saying, this car that Jay has. And I said, well, what, what car is that? And he kept saying, you know, that he, he didn't know what exactly it was. And he said, you know, that car that he has, the one that looks like and the, the things go up and the thing. And I was like, okay, that's a Lamborghini. I said, you know how much that car costs? He says, no. I said, that car costs $350,000. I said, okay. And I said, but, but I said, I still, but, but I said, but I said, I thought you said you wanted a car like Jay has. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, Jay-Z, is, he's a CEO, he's a businessman, and he knows better than to spend $350,000 on a depreciating asset, like a car. And his, his head started to go like this. I said, you think that that's Jay-Z's car? And he said, yeah, that's Jay-Z's car. It's in the video. I said, no, no, that car is rented for the day. Jay-Z wouldn't buy that car. I said, I know Jay-Z. You know, there's a picture of he, he and I in the book. I, he's a friend of mine. He has a, he has a GMC Yukon. Now, he has got, he's got... He's got some nice rims on it. <laughs> He's got some nice rims on it, but it's still a GMC Yukon. And the point is, is that these young people are, are being told something, they're being sold something that's completely false and inaccurate, and therefore they aspire to something that doesn't even exist. And it happens with our young women too. Every picture you see in every magazine, I promise you, I know these models. They don't look like that. You can't, you can't look like that unless you're put through a computer and you're photoshopped. So therefore, when young women see this image, they aspire to look like that, but there's no way they possibly can because the actual person doesn't even look like that. Does that make sense? And so we get these false evidence that appears real to us, and, and it starts to warp our sense of self, our sense of self-worth, and our self-esteem. And so the question becomes... How do we start to deal with it? And that's 
what these books are all about. Now, can I, can I borrow Letters to a Young Sister? Um, this, is, this is the new book, Letters to a Young Sister, Define Your Destiny. Now, the F-I-N-E of definer in caps, because you know I like to do this. I came up with this thing that I want young sisters to look in the mirror every morning, look at themselves in the mirror, and, and I love, see, there's a, there's a chapter in the book that's called Chocolate Cake and Four-Letter Words. I love words. I'm a word monger. I love, I love what words can do. And, and I think that four-letter words in the English language are some of the most powerful words. And they're not even the, the four-letter words that immediately come to folks' mind when you say, well, that's a four-letter word. <laughs> right? But they are super powerful. Fine is one of them. Fine has different meanings. Fine, how you doing? Folks just throw around fine all the time. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then people say, how do, you, how do you feel or how do you look? Or someone sees a girl and says, she's fine. You know, and that has a completely different meaning. But I even want to add a different meaning with my fine. So I, I took the fine and I capitalized the F-I-N-E. And I want young women to get up in the morning, look at themselves in the mirror, and actually really study their face and look at elements and say to themselves, I'm fine. I'm fantastic. I'm interesting. I'm necessary. And I'm exceptional. And then... And as we start to do exercises like that, we start to reformulate our psyche and our subconscious and our sense of self-worth such that we can start to then deal with future-based ideas. Because I think oftentimes the reason why when we talk about future-based ideas like education, like teen pregnancy, HIV AIDS, uh, uh, protection, like financial literacy, all these things that are actual future-based ideas Oftentimes they fall on deaf ears because the listener doesn't even believe that they're worthy of a future. So if you don't believe you're worthy of a future, and you don't even believe you have a future, and the only thing you really believe is in right now, why would you save money or learn financial literacy? Why would you wear a condom? Why would you learn how to read and study? Why? So therefore, we have to deal, I believe, with the self-esteem, self-worth piece first. Okay, so... That's where that comes from. Now, I'm going to read. I'm going to read a little, a little bit from this book. Um, I like to read other people's stuff because it's, it's more fun and more interesting than me reading my, my own. Um, so I'm going to first read a piece that Michelle Obama contributed for me. Now. For those of you that don't know, Barack Obama and I are, 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 are very good friends. He and I went to Harvard together. Um, we were, yeah. No, no, he, see, he took five years off in between undergrad and grad school, so he's five years older than me. But it's still, the adage holds true, black don't crack. Um, so, but here we go. Now. I want to read this for a specific reason. I'll explain why. But there are a lot of things in this book that I write to from a male perspective, speaking from a, 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 a non-judgmental, big brother, platonic hug perspective. But there are a lot of things in this book that I couldn't write. So I went out to my so-called surrogate sister superstars and asked them to be contributors to, to really answer questions and talk about issues that I, as a male, would not be able to answer anywhere near as well as they could. But I'm going to read, read you this for a completely different reason. Now, this is a question I got from a young sister that reads, Hill, 
I've always been teased because of my intelligence, and I sometimes feel bad in making good grades. What should I do? And I responded to her in the subject line of an email, teased for being outstanding. And this is what I wrote back. I said, you know what's funny is I was asked a very similar question by a young brother. See, page 17, letters to a young brother. But rather than repeat what I said to him, I figured I would forward your question to one of the most intelligent women I know, Michelle Obama. She is, uh, she's not only an incredibly successful Harvard-trained lawyer, she's also the mother of two wonderful daughters. She is intelligent, dynamic, independent, and fierce. And oh, by the way, she happens to be married to my former Harvard Law School classroom, Senator Barack Obama. Let's see if she has any insight to your question. So, begin forwarded message, answer from Michelle Obama. Dear young sister, I hear you. I was once in your shoes. I used to get up very early before school to get a handle on my studying when the small house I grew up in was quiet. And I would give myself the time and space to learn and think and dream. Now, I love that. The time and space to learn and think and dream. And that's, that right there is what I always talk about. Learn, think, dream. Think, act, be. That's on the back of the letters to a young brother. These are the same ideas. Learn and think and dream. And she goes on, neither of my parents went to college. A lot of people don't know that. That's interesting. A lot of young people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't born into privilege, so how am I going to go to, she went to Princeton, then Harvard. And neither, neither of her parents went to college. And I never knew that colleges or Ivy League universities were an option for me. Until my big brother Craig, and she says he's a very big brother, he's 6'6", was encouraged to apply to Princeton because he was smart and a good basketball player. And when he went there, I thought, well, shoot, I'm smarter than him. (laughs) So I applied and got in. And she continues, and because of how hard I worked and the grades I made, I was ready for anything, ready for Princeton and next Harvard Law, ready to move home to Chicago to give back to my community, to work in corporate law and community service and health care, ready to be a strong woman and raise two strong daughters, and ready to be the next First Lady of the United States, if that's what the future holds me. Now, now that, that sentence right there is what I, what I, what I was reading this. Four. She said, and ready to be the next first lady of the United States if that's what the future holds for me. What's amazing about this is this book came out a week ago Tuesday. You understand? It came out the very same day that her husband became the presumptive Democratic nominee for president. But that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is, is that she had to send this in to me about seven months ago when he was trailing by about 30 points in the polls. And so when, now think about this. I talk about the idea of first dreaming big. And I say, okay, I want you to dream big. And then, and then after you finish dreaming that big, I want you to double that dream. And then as soon as you've doubled it, you still haven't dreamed big enough. Okay? And that goes for anybody, whether you're one years old or 100 years old. Okay? I talk about that. But then I talk about the next step of actually seeing those dreams believing those dreams, and then doing the work to make those dreams manifest. Now, this is interesting. Her husband's training the polls by 30 points. She has to send a response into me. Do you think her fear, her false evidence appearing real response kicked in when she was sitting down writing this, saying, don't write that, because if he doesn't win, if he doesn't make up ground in the polls, when people read this seven months from now, they'll laugh at you. 
and say she thought she was going to be first lady. <laughs> you know? Because when she wrote it, no one believed that she would. But she did. And she believed it enough that she was willing to commit it to paper no matter what was going to happen. How many of, that, of us have that courage to, to, to first dream it, see it, and then believe it so much we'll commit it to a book that may come out seven months from now and people may take us, they may be able to take a sentence that I, they wrote and laugh at them and say, she wrote this in a book. Wow. But that's what makes our goals and dreams actually manifest is the process of dreaming it, seeing it, believing it, and doing the work to make it happen. Does that make sense? And that is a perfect reflection of that. And she finishes with, so I encourage you, young sister, to stay smart and thoughtful and creative and encourage your girlfriends to do the same. Keep reading and learning and sharing your thoughts and ideas. Own who you are and be proud of you. I am Michelle Obama. That's just beautiful. Now, see, that right there encapsulates almost the whole book. So everything else is just gravy now because the whole book, I mean, you know, that's two pages of the book. And I feel like, you know, every lesson is taught almost in that single email. And that's what this is about. It's about using a platform, and in particular as a male, looking at the fact that the number one killer of our young women ages 16 to 34 is HIV and AIDS. It's incredible. Preventable disease is the number one killer of our young women. And then we also looked to the startling statistic came out the other day that said of our African-American teenage girls that are sexually active, 50% within the, their first three years will contract some type of STD. Five zero percent. We really have to take a look at those numbers because those numbers aren't happenstance. Because in 1960, check this out, 80% of African-American families were headed by two people in the household. Fast forward to today, is less than 30%. That's a startling difference. Now, two-thirds of those households are headed by single women that are doing their best. And those, the men aren't there. And then we start to ask, we start, once we start to look at these numbers, is it, it, is it, are we surprised when we say, okay, these young women are not receiving platonic male love and affection because their parents aren't there, their father's not there, so they go seeking it with males that are their peers in the wrong place, in the wrong way, with the wrong person at the wrong time. And then we see numbers like I just mentioned. These things, it's not coincidental. These things are related. And so it's up to us. And I felt it was up to me as a man, as young women came up to me when I was touring with letters to a young brother saying, well, what about us? You're building up the self-esteem of these young men. And I ask a very poignant but simple question of a lot of young women I meet. And it, it breaks my heart. And this, and, and this is the question I ask. I say, how many times in your life has an older adult male looked you in the eye and platonically said, I love you, in your life? Eight times out of ten, it'll be zero. Zero in their life. 
what they hear is from their mom, auntie, girlfriends, baby, I love you, baby, I love you, baby, I love you, baby, I love you. But they never hear, baby, I love you with any kind of depth or bass in the voice. So they go looking for that, baby, I love you with a little bass in the voice from someone who tells them, well, if you really love me, you'd have sex with me without a condom. And they get co-opted. Do you think these things are coincidental? They're absolutely not. That's the purpose of this book, is for them to hear from an adult male in a completely platonic way, baby, I love you. This book is a hug on paper. It's really what it is. Now, now I talk about a lot of serious stuff in the book. There's, there's letters on depression. There are letters about all sorts of things. Um, but I don't want to make it seem like everything is totally heavy, 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 because sometimes the subjects get heavy. I mean, overcoming obstacles, all, you, know, the B, you know, the words have power, the B, H, and T words. So, but, so I want to read some, a letter, that, an uh, email that I love. How many folks here know who Niecy Nash is? Okay, well, well listen, um, I'm going to read to you what Niecy said. Now, I got this question. Young sister, young sister sent me this question. I, there's a letter here, letter 12, it's called Break Up No Makeup, and she's going through a breakup, and I write her a letter called Break Up No Makeup. We talk about breaking up, and she sends me a letter, in a re, uh, an email, and it reads, ah, oh, after she gets my letter, oh, hell, I'm sad. Please make me laugh. I mean, a part of me wants to get back together with him. But deep down, I know it's not what I want. Should I go back? What y'all think? Should she go back? (laughs) So, my response, subject line reads, heartache. I say, you know, this is one of those times where I realize that I'm a little too attached and would probably answer this question as a protective older brother, and believe me, it wouldn't have a bit of humor in in it. So instead, I'm going to forward your email to someone who always makes me laugh. Niecy Nash is one of the smartest and most honest sisters I know. Uh, and then I tell you, she can be seen on Comedy Central's not, Reno 911, and, and she's on the Style Network's Clean House. And I say, email me back after you stop laughing. <laughs> so now, I'm going to read what Niecy wrote in response to young sister. And you have to imagine kind of in Niecy's voice. I'm not going to try to do her voice. Because <laughs> if I did, I'd have some kind of vocal cord injury. And my voice, I've been touring, my voice is already a little shaky as it is. So, so just imagine her voice in, 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 in my voice. But begin forwarding message from Niecy Nash. My dearest sister, you don't have to eat a whole side of cow to know that it's beef. All it takes is a bite. Over and over and over again, you've been hurt, disappointed, misused, and abused. You keep thinking that somehow this person will change, will be different. Baby, please. You got to believe a man when he tells you who he is the first time. Why? Because he knows himself better than you do. Don't allow yourself to be balled up in a knot, rubbing your bangs across the carpet, crying enough tears to wash 20 cars over something you can't change. We've been duped into thinking that love hurts 
On a good day, it should be like getting your eyebrows waxed. When the tape is snatched off, it stings for a minute, but when you experience the smooth, silky skin you're left with, it's, ooh, you know it was all worth it. <laughs> now, that's an example of something I could not write. <laughs> you know how I said there's things I could write, and there's things I couldn't write? I couldn't write that. So that's why I have my surrogate sisters actually contribute. Now, she continues... Many songs have been sung about heartache. Like what becomes of the broken hearted? Where do broken hearts go? What's love got to do with it? Quite frankly, some of these songs simply lie. What becomes of the broken hearted? Broken hearted little girls become women who are seasoned at navigating their way through solid relationships. Where do broken hearts go? Broken hearts end up in a well of friendship surrounded by other women who understand your pain, provide comfort and support. What's love got to do with it? Not a damn thing if you don't first love yourself. No one is ever going to be better to you than you are to yourself ever, never, ever. And this is the, this is the one part I love. She says, I believe you should celebrate whenever a relationship ends. You can never have a new love unless you're rid of the old one. So let's go into that. Let's go into that. Now, what, I'm, what I've been talking about is the idea of reformulating our perspective as the way we look at life situations, any kind of inputs we get. What we're socialized to believe is that you're supposed to be sad and hurt when a relationship doesn't work out. What she's offering us is a different paradigm or thought in reaction to the exact same circumstance. Celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate because it opens you up to being even happier. And that's an amazing way. There's so much self-compassion and self-love in that simple sentence that it's astounding. One of my favorite poets in the world is a New England poet named Mary Oliver. She's won many awards and I'm sure many of her books are in this library, and she has a poem. It's one of my favorites called Wild Geese. Check it out in the library or get it on the Internet. Don't, don't go buy the book. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's a great poem, and all you need is that one poem. Um, <laughs> sorry, Mary. <laughs> She's already won Pulitzer Prizes. I mean, damn. <laughs> so, but her poem, Wild Geese... It starts like this. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk 100 miles on your knees repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Now, that, that line to me is so amazing, full of this type of thing, self-compassion. All we have to do in our journey, all we have to do is let the soft animal of our body love what it loves. But it's so hard to get there. So hard to get to that level of self-love and compassion that we're not requiring anything else of ourselves when we look in the mirror. How often do we look in the mirror and we're like, we're not quite, we don't look the way we really want to look. And we haven't achieved what we want to achieve or our bank statement doesn't look the way it does or, or our kids or our brothers, sisters, parents aren't doing the things they need to do or someone hasn't called us or emailed us and this hasn't gone right or well or done enough. Where's the self-compassion and self-love in that? By just saying we only, all of that doesn't matter. We only have to let the soft animal of our body, this, love what it loves. And just keep it that simple. Now, Nisi Nash continues. 
And I'll read what she said again. I believe you should celebrate whenever a relationship ends. You can never have a new one unless you're rid of the old one. And then she goes, my 12-year-old daughter was sad on Valentine's Day and started to cry because like her friends, she didn't have a boy to celebrate with. And I said, well, let's stop the tears because this ain't the first Valentine's Day you'll be without a man. (laughs) Keep on living. And second, you don't need a man to celebrate how good and loving you are. You get your friends together and exchange gifts with them. Love on each other. You don't need a man to love yourself. And then she said, when the boys at school saw my daughter and her friends sharing, laughing, and having a good time, baby, they were all over them like maggots on a dead piece of meat. (laughs) She said, why? Because they were enjoying being themselves. In other words, letting their soft animal, their body, love what they love, right? Enjoy being themselves. And she says, my sister, you will attract what you are. So remember, the next time you taste meat of a relationship, if it's tough, spit it out and move on. If it's tender and rare, baby, chew it to the bone. <laughs> and, and, and it was at that time I had to remind her that the book was called Letters to a Young Sister. I was like, pull it back, Nisi. Pull it back. So we had to do a few edits into that. The ending was edited. And she finishes with love and more, Niecy Nash. Now, to me, those, those two emails that I read from those two amazing women just represent a small slice of what this hug on paper is meant to be. I believe that, that, that mentorship on paper, love on paper, is real. I was gifted books when I was young that served as men- mentorship books to me. You know, books about Paul Robeson, books about Sidney Poitier, books, the autobiography of Malcolm X, a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman, and the book that I based the titles of these books on called Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, who was a German poet around the late 1800s, early 1900s, who wrote letters to this young man named Camus, who asked him, should I be a poet? I think I want to be a poet, but I'm going to send you some of my poem. Tell me if, tell me if I'm any good. And and it's books like those that if you looked at them now that are on my bookshelf, you'd see underlines and writing in the margin because they're an interactive tool. And a lot of people have said to me, well, Hill, you know, this, this, why didn't you do this as a DVD or do this as a... No, the point is, is to do this type of work as a book because the only place we still have solitary work with ourselves is when we read books. And therefore, when a young person... When a young person, and, and, and look, this book has to be a gifted book. Because for the most part, now, there are some exceptions in here, which is wonderful. But for the most part, I'm not naive. I know that, that a lot of young people, there are not tons of young people wandering up the, the aisles of Barnes & Noble saying, I can't wait for that next hardcover to drop. <laughs> you know, they're a footlocker waiting for the next Jordans to come out. Because they've been told that their self-worth is tied to whether they have Air Force Ones or not. They haven't been told that their self-worth is tied to whether they have great mentoring books or not. And so therefore, and it's amazing to me how valuable books are. For the price of one quarter of an Air Force One, this can sit on your shelf 
for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and be even passed on because it's a hardcover book, right? <laughs> be passed on. But you're going to grow out of those Jordans quite quickly because even so, be a, a, they keep putting out new models because they keep wanting to convince you that you need the newer, 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 newer Jordans. So they need more of your money. So, but all I was saying is that this book can sit next to someone's bed. They're asleep, and at 2 in the morning, maybe they can't sleep. They roll over, they look at it, and they just read one page or two pages. And maybe it has a profound shift on the way they view themselves in their life. And maybe they'll get more into it and read other things. The point is, is that if you can't sleep at 2 in the morning, you're not going to get up necessarily and get up, you know, grab a DVD, walk down to the wherever and put it in. Or, no. But books can be there with you in your quietest moments. They can, they can be a friend, a mentor to walk with you. You can stick them in a bag and they, they travel with you. That's the value. And that's the reason why putting it in book form is essential, essential, essential.